Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Mary Angela McGuire stepping in for Dr. Pat as guest host of the Dr. Pat Show, up next on KKNW and TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everyone, I'm Mary Angela McGuire and I'm guest hosting today on the Dr. Pat Show. I'm really excited about this opportunity, grateful to her for providing it to me. My regular gig on Transformation Talk Radio is a show, a podcast on Thursdays at noon, 3 central or Eastern time called Nothing But Now. And it's a show where I really focus on the mindfulness journey, trying to help people and always actually, to be honest, helping myself uh, pay attention to how to bring mindful practices into my daily life. It is, there are simple ideas, but they can be very challenging to incorporate into our day. And so we talk about strategies and challenges. And then every other week on the show, I've been doing a new segment called uh, Voices, where I'm trying to bring attention to the relationship between mindfulness and racism. You know, as a white woman, I feel I have my particular obligation to bring to conscious awareness deeply embedded ideas I have that all of us have about racial inequality and about white racial superiority. And so one of the ways that I'm doing this is um, that recognition that as a white person, I don't necessarily have a lot of contact with African-Americans. And maybe the most information I get is from the media, which means I have a pretty narrow and distorted picture. So what I do every other week is that I've been interviewing people from my life, who people I've met through uh, work, through my neighborhood, through volunteer activities, who are African-American, uh, people whose lives in some ways are ordinary, just like mine, and in other ways, absolutely extraordinary. I simply want to bring to all of us who are white counter narratives, uh, counter to the distorted and narrow view we get from the media. And for black indigenous people of color, I hope that in listening to these stories, you'll hear stories that resonate with your experience. And again, stories you don't hear enough of in the regular media. So. And pushing that topic a little bit further today uh, by talking about uh, diversity, inclusion, equity at a really uh, critical moment in our culture, in our history. And I'm doing that with my guest, Dr. Diane Goodman. Diane, thank you so much for joining me today on the Dr. Pat Show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Yes. So Diane is a what is, what is Diane not? Diane is a consultant. She's an educator. She's an author. Uh, I'm guessing you've been a mentor to many uh, in, in this space around uh, diversity, inclusion, social justice. And this has been a part of your professional life from very early in your professional life. Is that right? That is right. I've been doing this work in one form or another, um, mostly as an educator, broadly defined, for mm -hmm. over 35 years at this point. Wow. Um, and it is work I am still as passionate about 
um, and clearly is as needed today as it was when I started. Exactly. Well, you know, it's that's uh, my a segue to something I've been thinking about quite a bit. You know, you and I are of an age where we can think back, I'm guessing, to our childhood and remember seeing on television in particular uh, violence in the streets, right? Unrest around issues of racial injustice. Um, I remember as a little kid seeing that and it was scary, uh, wondering what is going on. Uh, seeing people in incredible pain uh, being treated uh, unfairly for reasons that seemed in terribly arbitrary. And here we are, 50 years later, seeing some very similar images. So Diane, as an expert, as someone who's devoted her career to these issues, I just wonder, how are you making sense of the current moment that we're in? Well, first of all, I want to say I don't feel like an expert. Um, okay. Th th these are issues I've been thinking about and learning about and talking about for a long time, mm -hmm. um, but certainly in no way consider myself an expert or have, you know, the, the, the definitive um, perspective on these issues. And as you said before, being a white woman as I am, um, you know, certainly that informs my lens on this. Right. And I really, um, as you, um, try to listen very deeply um, to, um, Black Indigenous people of color and what they're saying and what they're experiencing from their realities. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, I mean, it, it is hard for anyone to be watching the news and not to um, certainly have a response. And I think we have different responses to it. Um, the, the one thing that I think is really important that I've appreciated what others have said mm -hmm. is how do we not focus specifically on the violence or the some people who are doing the looting mm -hmm. and what is the more important message that people are trying to express okay and i think it is easy to get distracted by and certainly our president is intentionally mm -hmm. trying to turn our attention um, to the violence that's occurring and to exploit that right. um, and not talking about what the more important and central issue is which is racism and racial injustice and racism in the criminal justice system. Yeah. And so I think we need to continue to turn our attention back in this case, what happened to, you know, Mr. Blake, mm -hmm. um, but also obviously the, the much larger issues that that's reflective of. Right. Do you, so, you know, the, in these last few months, when uh, so many stories uh, have been held up uh, as as bringing our attention to that uh, systemic racism and particularly in the relationship between members of the black community or black people in America and the police. But that that's that's these if I think about the four stories that we've talked about the most in the last few months, those are by no means the only ones. So how do how do you not lose a sense of hope and that sense that how if, if I'm a person of color, I don't know how I could think that things are getting better. And, and as a white person, I struggle with that as well. How do you stay positive or stay, or maybe you don't. I mean, <laughs> how do you deal with these, the experiences and watching what's happening? It's a great question. And I'm seeing among my BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, um, friends and colleagues, uh, a level of um, despair, anger, frustration um, that they're saying they haven't experienced in a long time. You know, people who are, and even watching people on TV who professionally talk about these issues, that I, I, I think this has taken a tremendous, tremendous emotional toll on people. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to recognize that. And I know just for myself, how deeply despairing and horrifying it is to see what is just happening over and over and over again, knowing that this is the tip of the iceberg, you know, knowing right. that this right. is happening all the time that we don't know about and has been. But in terms of the, the hopefulness, I think this is where history is important. Okay. I think history is important for us to understand this is part of a pattern, okay. that this is not, I mean, you're referring back 50 years or thereabouts, right. but clearly we can go way, way back further than right. that since the founding of this country and about how these patterns of violence against black people and other people of color have been part of our history mm -hmm. and has been used as a way to control and to oppress um, and to marginalize people. So that's one part of the history that I think we need to be mindful of, that this is part of a pattern. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're also part of a history that has fought against this um, and has waged resistance okay. and in some very effective ways because we certainly do have laws that didn't exist before. Point, we certainly right? do have remedies that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. We certainly do have people of color in positions of power where they weren't before. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to hold on to the fact that while these patterns of violence and white supremacy and racism have always existed throughout the history in this country, mm -hmm. that so, so also um, have people who have fought against it. And that includes other white people that there have been white people who have joined these struggles again throughout history. And so, you know, I do come back to Martin Luther King, you know, the, the arc of the, I'm not saying this quite right, moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to make sure it bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. I don't think it just automatically happens that way, but I think big picture, mm -hmm. um, I, I think things have changed. And in this moment in particular, as people have said, these demonstrations and marches have been bigger than they've been, that they've included right. more white people than they've ever seen, mm -hmm. that people were yeah. talking about white supremacy, mm -hmm. systemic racism, you know, these big scary words right. um, that people haven't talked about before mm -hmm. and really are demanding significant changes. Mm -hmm. So that is the other piece of the hopefulness is that I hope we are at a moment in time where we can really take these issues on in a more significant way. And I, um, I, when we're gonna take a break and when we come back, I want us to talk about the, the distinction between, um, because I, you were talking about uh, how thing, what, what has changed. And of course I was a kid, but I don't remember from childhood seeing pictures on the street uh, I, of of demonstrations, both peaceful and violent demonstrations, but also of police brutality. But what I don't remember from that time are people really using the language of things like uh, systemic racism, right, of white privilege, of being able to talk about those things in really powerful ways. So when we come back, I'm, uh, we're also going to talk about that, that distinction between what does it to mean to say that I'm not a racist versus being an anti-racist? Uh, what's the difference between individual action and more collective action? So, but first we're gonna take a break, folks. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. I'm Mary Angela McGuire, guest hosting today with my guest, Dr. Diane Goodman. I hope you'll join us after the break. Sometimes being human has its challenges. Our physical health falters, our spirits sag, our dreams don't immediately come to fruition. 
Welcome to the power of Maximum Medicine Radio. Join me, Doc Martin, in conversations that will blow your mind about healing. In our hit show, Doc Martin addresses the scientific with bridging to the mystical approaches to give you a new narrative about Maximum Medicine. In this live call-in show, we will journey into the extraordinary genius of the human body and talk about other beliefs that impact being your multidimensional self. We seek the seen and the unseen and explore the earthbound and the otherworldly, all with the purpose of calling forth the maximum you. To learn more about Doc Martin and Maximum Medicine, visit www.sharonmartinmd.com. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. Are you ready to invest in your best self? Join Sabrina Wright as she shares practical tools for creating joy and balance in your life every single day. Sabrina is here to help you become your greatest advocate and empower you to make decisions that will help you learn to live your best life. Live the good life, connecting your physical and spiritual self with Sabrina Wright every second Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific on TransformationDocRadio.com. Are you truly ready to experience overflow in every area of your life? Are you ready to go from limited to limitless? Imagine starting your week off with a deeper connection to the God consciousness. It's time for you to feel inspired, uplifted, and shifted. I invite you to join me, Tracy L, online or in person for our Soul Sundays. Start your week off feeling empowered and ready to serve and expand the miracles waiting for you. The Knowledge Book, currently studied in 39 countries and 15 languages around the world, accelerates our evolution, takes us out of depression, offers universal truth, protects us, and makes us stronger, both spiritually and physically. So if you are interested in The Knowledge Book, visit usa.thenowledgebook.net and tune in to The Knowledge Book Radio with Marge Potasik on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Mary Angela McGuire is stepping in for Dr. Pat as guest host of The Dr. Pat Show, up next on KKNW and TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Mary Angela McGuire. Welcome back to The Dr. Pat Show. I'm guest hosting today, and my guest today is Dr. Diane Goodman, and we're talking about racism in America, systemic racism, and particularly because the two of us are white women, we want to address and talk about this in the context of our responsibilities. And one of the things uh, Diane and I have been talking about is what's different today than say 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 150 years ago, or gosh, we could keep going back, couldn't we, to the, the experience, the reality of systemic racism in our culture. But one of the things we've been talking about that's different today is some of the language that is more widely used, um, that people are talking more openly about things like white privilege, 
um, and systemic racism. And one term that's um, used quite a bit more, although Angela Davis first talked about it maybe 50 years ago, was the difference between saying, I'm not a racist versus I'm engaged in anti-racist activity. And uh, there's a, a recent book that came out, I think maybe, Diane, maybe two years ago, um, Ibram X. Kendi wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, very popular and a resurgence in popularity in these last few months. And he really talks about that distinction um, and one, and and I would say maybe what I glean from that difference is that is active versus passive, right? Um, I can passively be and say, oh, I, I, you know, people say things like I don't see color, um, which is problematic, or I treat everyone the same, which is unlikely uh, if we do a deep dive into our behaviors. But to say that I'm actively engaged in activity that undermines systemic racism in our culture. So would you talk about that distinction and how you see it playing out and its usefulness or its limitations in the current moment? Well, I, I think it is useful. Mm -hmm. But I and and I, I may take a broader definition of it than Ibram Kendi does with all respect to him. And it's a wonderful book and I encourage people to read it. Yes. <laughs> that um, I think being anti-racist can take many forms. Okay. Um, his emphasis is on changing policies and practices, which is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're not engaged in changing the systems, the racist systems that are being oppressive, then you know, we're not really being actively anti-racist. Okay. Um, I think we can be anti-racist on multiple levels. We know that um, in order to be anti-racist, we need to be informed. And so are we also actively educating ourselves and actively educating other people mm -hmm. about racism so we can be making the kind of changes that we need to see happen? Mm -hmm. So I think it can happen on more individual and interpersonal levels, as well as on institutional levels and largest um, societal levels. I think all of those aspects are important um, with the larger goal of we need to be changing the systems that and the ideology and the belief systems behind them mm -hmm. that keep the system in place. Okay. And I also wanted to, um, no, I also wanted to speak to um, what you were saying about that language is being used now. And so on one hand, when you asked me about hope, that is giving me hope because okay. that is a way that we are moving away from just seeing racism as individual prejudices. Okay. So as a white person, I may have biases or prejudices against a person of color. And we're recognizing when we talk about systemic racism, or we talk about white privilege, mm -hmm. um, or we talk about white supremacy, mm -hmm. which is really about systems in which white people are seen as superior to people of color mm -hmm. and have access and resources and opportunities that are given to white people that people of color don't have. Mm -hmm. And things that are associated with whiteness and being white are valued more than what's associated with people of color. And so when we take a more systemic analysis as opposed to a personal analysis, that al then allows us really to look at mm -hmm. these systems that have operated since the start of this country. We can also talk globally, um, but certainly in this country and exists now. The danger that I find as an educator mm -hmm. uh, is that people are learning the terms mm -hmm. and so can sound more woke uh -huh. We know this is whole phenomenon of wokeness and woke right. Olympics. And so people now can use these terms and, you know, talk about white privilege and talk about white supremacy. Mm -hmm. But if it stays at the level of talk, 
without really reflecting on what it means for them, and I'm speaking about white people, um, mm -hmm. what it means for us in terms of being white and what it means for how we show up in the world and what it means for what we're doing to dismantle these systems, mm -hmm. then it stays at a talk level and people get to feel good about themselves, but they're not really being anti-racist, back to your you know, original point. Okay, I, there's so many things I wanna ask you about, so I'm gonna start here. <laughs> In your work as an educator in particular, um, you, you were talking about um, with our obligation to educate ourselves as whites. And if I think about my own um, high school, college education, it isn't that I didn't learn about, um, and about slavery. It's that I know now from more current reading how little I learned um, and how little I learned about uh, the consequences. And that I think there is a way in which for many of us, that kind of um, education stops a little bit at the Civil War, like, hey, the Civil War happened, uh, enslaved people were freed, everything else now is on them, right? And we, and so for instance, for me, when I read a book by Isabel Wilkinson, I think uh, The Warmth of Other Sons, I had a completely new understanding of what it meant for to be black in the South and to be black in America post-Civil War. So for in your experience as an educator working with people in all different kinds of situations, what, what's the biggest gap for whites in their understanding? And so that, uh, yeah, in their, yeah, what's the biggest gap that you notice people have in their knowledge? Well, I think certainly history mm -hmm. and cumulative advantage and disadvantage. Mm -hmm. People often look at the current reality and they'd be like, yep, some things seem unfair. Right. But it's individualized. So it's either that there were individual people who were mistreating people of color mm -hmm. um, and so see it on an individual level in that way. Or, well, really, if people just tried hard enough, you know, there's right. the blaming the victim. If people just tried hard enough or valued education more mm -hmm. um, or worked harder or didn't rely on public assistance or whatever those mythologies are, then they could make it too. So it's this myth of meritocracy. It's the myth that we have a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And one way I find to dispel that is not only to have current, in, more accurate information, right. but to understand that all the ways that white people have been advantaged throughout time that now show up in our current reality and all the ways people of color have been systematically disadvantaged that shows up in our current reality. And just, you know, one example that I think highlights this well that people talk about is even if we just look at post-World War II and access to housing mm -hmm. and who was able to get mortgages and move into the suburbs mm -hmm. um, and could buy homes um, and accumulate wealth in their homes, which is where most white people have gained their wealth. And that also then meant access to transportation, which meant access to jobs. Right. And so there's been all this accumulation of ways that white people have had advantages that then gets passed on. And for you know black people in particular and other people of color who weren't able to get mortgages and in fact were redlined, couldn't move into neighborhoods right. and you know were funneled into urban environments where there weren't services, there wasn't transportation, couldn't have access, didn't meant not access to healthcare. We see that now with the pandemic of who is living in environments where there's access to healthcare or there's more environmental racism, they're living closer to more dangerous plants and, and, and um, transportation output. Mm -hmm. um, 
the pollution. So I think that to me is critical. Mm-hmm. And I am doing more and more of that in my own learning, because like you, I didn't learn a whole lot of stuff growing right. up. And, and it's really helping people see this trajectory. Because I think without that, I think it's impossible to make sense of our current realities mm. without having that um, more historical cumulative advantage and disadvantage perspective. I think that's such a powerful statement that it's hard to make sense of what's happening now if you don't know that, because it it does just seem kind of bizarre. Not not the behavior of, of African-Americans, I don't mean that, but it's it's hard to, well, I'll just give you an example. So in, in Richmond, there was the Monument, uh, Monument Avenue. And I saw an advertisement for that housing development that was run, I guess, in the 1920s. And it says absolutely explicitly, no, nothing uh, subtle about it. These homes will may not be sold to Negroes, was the word that they used, nor if you buy one of these homes, may you sell them to, may you sell mm-hmm. it to, again, the word that was used to Negro. Mm-hmm. It was, there was nothing, as I say, it's not subtle, it's explicit, it was legal, it was, and, it, and, and so as, as you say, uh, if, I, if I don't understand some of the real things that happened, that historical stuff, it just all seems happenstance, right? And, and I can't make sense of, of the incredible disparity um, without, without knowing that history, but it can also be pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, I, and, I wanna, and if I could just say yes. about the happenstance, I think what gets even more dangerous than the happenstance mm-hmm. is the victim blaming, is the yes. saying it didn't just happen, but right. there's something wrong with these people. Exactly. And so it feeds into, again, that ideology about white people are somehow better than people right. of color. And that also just gets so dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think there is that tendency to say, well, if I was in that situation, I would have made different choices. And that comes from, I think, not really understanding that situation, um, while all of the factors that went into why people live where they live, why they have the schools they have, et cetera. Whether it's the, the advantages I had or the disadvantages that someone ha- else had that were systemic, systematic, uh, routine, really. Um, I, I, and, and so I'll, I'll say, uh, personally, the more I know about that, a feeling that comes up that I think is challenging is shame. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, I think we're ready to take a break. We're going to take a break. And again, I don't want us to just focus on the individual level. We're also trying to talk about this in terms of public policy, but I really want to come back and say, how as a white person do I get out from under that uh, paralyzing shame to do something useful, right? Because I, I think that we can be overwhelmed by it and then we don't do anything helpful. So anyway, we're going to take a break. Uh, My uh, guest is Diane Goodman. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show, and we'll be right back. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. 
The Power of Inspiration and Awakening Radio with Juliet Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit BurnBrightToday.com. Mary Angela McGuire stepping in for Dr. Pat as guest host of The Dr. Pat Show, up next on KKNW and TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Dr. Pat Show. I'm Mary Angela McGuire, and I am here with my guest, Dr. Diane Goodman. And we're talking about uh, the current state of and uh, the challenges and the protests the police brutality, the violence, the police violence that we're seeing um, in our culture right now around issues of race. And um, it's not a new topic. It's not new to either one of us, but it is a critical topic. And we're really talking today in this conversation about, as white women, um, the role and the responsibility that we have to educate ourselves, to be um, engaged in anti-racist work, as opposed to the more passive approach to simply saying, I'm not a racist, I don't see color, and hoping that our, our moral goodness that we might believe we have is enough. Um, but we've been talking about what it means to educate ourselves, um, to fill in all of those gaps uh, with the reality of uh, laws, practices that were on the books that allowed for a systematic ad advantaging of whites over blacks in America and blacks and other people of color. And uh, what I was saying before the break, Diane, is that um, I found, found that educational work that I've done in my own life, the reading I've done, um, very helpful 
but at some at certain points kind of overwhelming in the in the feeling of shame that comes with it. Um, I heard um, I I think it was actually Isabel Wilkerson who had this analogy uh, recently about um, that that habit as whites that we sometimes have in this country of saying hey. I, I didn't, I was not a person who enslaved other people. I didn't invent redlining laws. Look this, I'm not responsible for this. And she said, you know, it's like when you buy a house. When you buy a house, you have to deal with the problems. You have to deal with what it is you purchased. And in a way, as whites, we are the, and uh, this, is, this is the culture that we own. It's ours too. And uh, we have to deal with what's come up. But, you know, I can walk away from it. I have that privilege as a white person to simply walk away. And I think if I feel overwhelmed and shamed, I'm more likely to do that. So how, how do you talk to people, white people, about managing their discomfort, the shame, the frustration, the, the overwhelmedness that they might feel in the face of all of this knowledge and information? Yeah, and I encounter that a lot. I mean, I've certainly have experienced those feelings myself, and I mm -hmm. certainly hear you know, um, as I work with other white people about that whole range of feelings. And I think it's important to acknowledge them. I think it's important to acknowledge the emotional dimension of doing this work. Okay. But I think there's an intellectual dimension. Clearly, we need to learn a lot of things, and that's an ongoing process. But this is not simply intellectual work. It is emotional work. And part of the work of um, anti-racism and of liberation is about being in touch with our feelings. I think when we um, numb out, which is I think what we are often expected to do and need to do to continue to function in the world that we have, especially if we start to become aware of the depth and breadth of racial injustice, the way we cope with that is to just numb out and pretend it doesn't matter and shut down our empathy. And so I think being in touch with our feelings is a way that we are numb and can in fact be in the service of us feeling more called and motivated and engaged um, in anti-racism work. But the trick is, as you say, is not to get mired in them. Right. So I think there's one piece and you talk about how mindfulness is something that, you know, um, that you um, do a lot of work with and, and mm -hmm. I do some work with it as well. And that is certainly one tool um, is to have skills around mindfulness is to notice, is just notice what's happening um, to us without having to be attached to it. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, or in having places where we can talk about those feelings and express those feelings, whatever they are, so they have an outlet. Okay. Having said that, um, we need to find a way to not get caught in those feelings and to use them as a way to move us forward in, in doing this work. Okay. And one way is around the shame is recognizing that while my family personally did not own slaves, mm -hmm. that I have certainly benefited from this system. I mean, there's no way about it. Historically, I have benefited. My parents bought a house in the suburbs um, right. when my father came back from the Korean War, you know, from the GI Bill. Right. So, you know, I can't ignore that I am the beneficiary mm -hmm. of laws and policies that I may not have been around for, right. but that I've, I'm a beneficiary of. And certainly currently I am as a white person. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's about feeling shame about that. 
Mm -hmm. because again, it's not something that I necessarily wanted or asked for, mm -hmm. um, or it might be things that my ancestors did that it wasn't right. my decision. Right. But for me, what's more important to think about is, okay, so what are the remedies? What are the reparations? Mm -hmm. What do I do to make things right? If the shame is because of things that were wrong, mm -hmm. what do I need to do to make things right? Okay. I think that's where if we can fuel, um, use our feelings to fuel mm -hmm. our anti-racism actions, then I think that is a productive way to both recognize and utilize what inevitably comes up for people. Okay. And in your work, what are you seeing that is effective? What is the anti-racism activity that, that makes a difference, either for changing the hearts and minds and behavior of whites or of uh, helping to create a more just world or culture? Well, I, I've yet to find the magic, right. <laughs> magic activity. Uh -huh. But some things that I find helpful, um, mm -hmm. and it depends on where people are at in this journey. You know, okay. white people who have never even thought about being white, who right. have very little understanding of race and racism, mm -hmm. you know, or is it people further on, you know, down the journey mm -hmm. um, and sometimes problematically think they know it all, sure. um, but, you know, still have some learning to do as we all do. So as I said, history, I think, is critical, understanding history, because mm -hmm. some of it is just people don't have the knowledge. And without the knowledge, you come to, and if you just hear things from mainstream media, mm -hmm. that that's a really distorted view. And I think that does not help people see that there's a problem and lead them in a direction of how they can be anti-racist. Again, going back to basically people just worked harder, you know, where right. they're just being violent and they just gotta stop being violent. So I think a sense of history, a sense of analysis about why are we seeing what we're seeing? What are the historical legacies and antecedents? Mm -hmm. So I really feel like information mm -hmm. is one piece that can be very helpful. Okay. As I said, another piece that's helpful is just giving people the space to talk about how they feel, talk mm -hmm. about that shame, talk about feeling overwhelmed, that that sense of being alone with it. And it's like, wow, other people have these feelings too. It's not just me. Um, Where would a person go to, to do that, to, to share those kinds of feelings? What are some strategies for that? Well, now, um, more and more, um, mm -hmm. there are spaces called white caucuses, white affinity spaces, white okay. accountability spaces, um, workshops geared for white people around racism. Okay. So those have been around for a long time. I've been doing them for a long time. But right now, there's been an explosion of them, okay. I think, given the moment we're in in the interest. Right. And so, you know, looking for, are there any spaces now they're happening online? So it doesn't even need to be in your community, but right. even online people are offering spaces for white people to do some of this personal reflection work and sharing um, work. So that's one place. And sometimes it's just find a friend, just okay. find somebody else who you can have this conversation with mm -hmm. or do some reading together with, oh. and then, you know, process you know, what, what comes up from that reading. Mm -hmm. So it can be in a more formalized way or okay. if people can't find that a less formal way. Okay. Um, and, and I just, I'm trying to imagine a person going into one of those groups and really talking about, you know, for instance, my experience is that I grew up in a family, I think very different from yours in some ways, because I've read a little bit of, um, in an article you wrote about your family was very progressive in its politics. 
Actually, actually not. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> you have to sense that you, okay, I'll just say it this way. I grew up in a family where people use racist language kind of commonly. I think I, I think I took the message from your article that your family wasn't like that. <laughs> well, I, 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 I didn't get the overt Okay. I, I didn't grow up in an overtly racist family. Okay. All right. But they were so, not particularly progressive politically. Oh, okay. Different. That's a different thing, isn't it? Um, yes. So I think that that's um, one of those things that I could imagine talking about in a group, or maybe I never could, right? Mm -hmm. That it would just be such a, so uncomfortable to admit that my family was like that. Mm -hmm. But I imagine a lot of people's family. I've certainly yeah. heard that from students over the years, right? Yeah. Yeah. But do people talk about things that hard and that unpleasant? Oh, yeah, groups? absolutely. Okay. And I think that's part of breaking the silence and breaking the numbness mm -hmm. is to be able to say that. Because the more we try to hide and protect, mm -hmm. the more we're shut down. And it gets hard to open and learn and grow. So we need to let go of that defensiveness um, so we can be more open to change. Yeah. Because I do believe, and as I do this work, is that people do want to experience their full humanity and connect with other people in their full humanity. Um, and so I believe that we both have the potential to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think a desire to do that when we can strip away, you know, so many of the other things that have shut us down and made us afraid and made us ashamed. Okay. And, and I think, uh, having that language of racism and embedded in our consciousness is a source of shame. And, um, but, but I, I hear what you're saying too, is that we're always going to have a kind of defensive reaction to conversations about systemic racism until we allow ourselves to, to sit with that discomfort of, yeah, that is, that, it, that language is in my body in a way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it doesn't mean I use it. It doesn't mean I promote it, but it even feels ugly just to know that it's there. But uh, if I want to, as you say, have an open heart to really hear other people uh, whose experience is different from mine, I have to allow myself to just live with those feelings a little bit as, and not get mired down or lost in them. Right. And another really important distinction I make is that it's not about like our personal blame for having heard and knowing those things that we've heard and learned. Okay. That we are all socialized by the larger society, by the media and the, by what we've learned and not learned in schools, as well as our particular families and communities. We didn't have control over that socialization and that cultural conditioning. Oh. So that's not our fault that, you know, we can name the racist stereotypes. That's mm -hmm. in the air that we breathe. And okay. some of us, to more degrees than other. Right. So to me, it's not about the personal blame. It's okay. like, okay, I was socialized this way. Mm -hmm. Now I can unlearn it. Now I can choose to act differently. Okay. And so it's that sense of agency mm -hmm. to do something different, not the sense of I'm a bad person because I've learned or heard these things. And the last thing uh, I'll, I'll say about that is also that I have benefited whether or not I wanted to. So again, I don't need to be a racist person and think, oh, I should be treated better than a person of color. Mm -hmm. That's how the system is set up. Right. So I can acknowledge how I benefit from the system, even if I think it's unfair and not right, because right. that's the system we live in. Mm -hmm. And I can then say, so now what do I do to change this system or not take advantage of this system? Mm -hmm. um, 
so I can create a more just world that's more aligned with who I want to be and what I want to see. Okay. Thank you. That's, I think that's just incredibly helpful. So we're going to take a, our last break. And uh, when we come back, I'd really love to hear from you about what would you like people to take away from this conversation of one or two things that you would hope that they would read or do or avail themselves of. Um, and we'll be right back after this break. Did you know that when we talk about the Earth's ecosystems, the most important ecosystem has been left out? You, we created the ecosystem approach to recapture human potential. Find us at theecosystemapproach.org. Join us every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the Ecosystem Approach Show with Jason and Patricia on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and join Sarah on an adventurous journey to the deeper level of meaning to move beyond today's world of constant change, confusion, and uncertainty beyond the shadow of fear. This hit show explores key concepts such as confidence, values, and attitude in a dynamic way. To learn more about Sarah and her work, visit sarahmain.com. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Check us out at drpatshow.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh, my goodness. Optimize your breast cancer screening without any radiation or pain. Effective, sensitive, and widely used thermal imaging in Europe is now available to you here in the U.S. Using state-of-the-art FDA-approved camera, Eastside's first and only breast thermography clinic is now open in Bellevue. Safe, sensitive, low cost, no referrals needed. Contact Holistique Medical Center at 425-451-0404 or on the web, drdarvish.com. Tune into Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce every first and third Tuesday of the month at noon Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Join Susan and her guests as they share the stories that shift our souls about radical transformations, courageous breakthroughs, and life lessons. Three Things I've Learned with Susan Dolce. For more information, go to TransformationTalkRadio.com or visit Susan's website at SusanDolce.com. Do you sometimes feel overwhelmed by your mind? Powerless when it seems to spin in worry circles or bombard you with self-critical thoughts? Do you want to learn how to master your mind and feel more in control of your life? Listen to Dr. Friedman's Empowerment Radio, shift from confusion to clarity, self-doubt to confidence, and from anxiety to peace and balance. Dr. Friedman and his many guest experts share the insights and tools you want to live with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Tune in to Empowerment Radio every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Mary Angela McGuire is stepping in for Dr. Pat as guest host of The Dr. Pat Show, up next on KKNW and TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Mary Angela McGuire, and you're listening to The Dr. Pat Show. I am guest hosting today, and my guest is Dr. Diane Goodman, and we're talking about inclusion, equity, systemic racism, and what the challenges are for whites to actively engage in anti-racist work. Diane, if someone wanted to get more information from you, learn more about your work, how, what's the best way to contact you? 
I have a website, which is www.diannegoodman.com. Um, and it has a variety of things that I've written as well as, you know, more background about what I do. Okay. And you do consulting work. Do you do that with uh, what kind of organizations, people, what's that work towards or who's the audience for it? So I work with a wide range of organizations. Um, I do a lot of work in uh, with nonprofits, philanthropies, um, at universities and schools, uh, faith organizations, community groups. So mostly um, those kinds of organizations and really individuals and um, institutions who really want to look at how to create more equitable and inclusive environments where everybody can thrive. Um, and that's really what I you know, trying to create. Okay, that's great. So when we left off, we were talking about um, the experience white people have a, around educating themselves around uh, about racism. And one of the ideas that I've, I've read about in your work that I think is very interesting is the idea that there are, uh, I think we tend to see it as a zero sum. If I uh, give up some of my privilege or if, if other people, black indigenous people of color, color have more rights, more privileges, somehow I'm at a, I'm going to lose. Is that, how would you address that kind of feeling or thought process that I might have as a white person? Yeah. I think one of the things for me that has really um, sustained my commitment to this work, and I know I'm not alone because I interviewed other people and I wrote about it in, in a book actually that I wrote called um, Promoting Diversity and Social Justice, Educating People from Privileged Groups. And that's what, how, what do we gain mm -hmm. by unlearning racism or other forms of oppression when we're part of privileged groups? How are we harmed by these systems of oppression even while we benefit? Mm -hmm. And why is eliminating racism as a white person liberating for me as well right. as it is clearly for BIPOC people? Mm -hmm. And I think that shift from simply seeing it as we're going to flip the system. Mm -hmm. So now white people are going to be oppressed and right. white people are going to be in charge and oppress us. Clearly, you know, why would we want to do, why, why, why would we want to support that? Right. Um, or does it address what I think the bigger issues are of how do we eliminate systems of domination? Uh. How do we create a world in which everybody Mm -hmm. has access to the needed resources and opportunities and safety so everybody can be in their full humanity and can thrive and be well. Mm -hmm. That to me is the vision I'm going for. And I know there are many other people also who share a commitment to social justice and to liberation. It's a world that works for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so in helping people envision that, I do do work, especially with white people, about what are some of the ways we're harmed by racism? Oh. And clearly we are benefited. There, let me be very clear, and I hope I've been clear. Yes. Racism was set up to benefit white people. Right. And we are, and we have been. Mm -hmm. And there are ways in which we can also um, have costs of that system. I mean, as I said, cost our humanity, how much we need to shut down um, right. so not to really pay attention to the racism and violence that's happening. I mean, I talk to people all the time about all the social discomfort, about I'm awkward around other people. I don't have friends of people of other races. I don't know what to say when I'm with different people. So there's all sorts of social awkwardness. Mm -hmm. I think in our society, we have more violence that impacts all of us. Mm -hmm. um, because of unrest, because of injustice, mm -hmm. that we spend lots of money on services that are needed because of inequities, 
social services and substance abuse services that I think are a result of um, inequities, that we can't work together um, across differences for things that affect us all, like environmental issues um, or health issues. So I help people think about kind of the whole range of ways in which their cost to people, of, um, white people of racism, even while we're benefiting. Right. And you know, what we can gain by doing this work of feeling a greater sense of authenticity and wholeness and have a much more diverse and interesting life um, and right. more connections. Right. So that's one way to mitigate the sense of this is a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that's such a powerful statement because it both incorporates what's the individual cost to me? How is my humanity undermined um, by what is it Du Bois who just described the wages of whiteness, mm -hmm. right? That what is what is the cost to my soul? Um, for, for being advantaged by this system and doing nothing to address it. But also you list all of those kinds of social policies that people tend to um, criticize. Do we spend too much money? Is it causing the national debt, right? All of that kind of talk we have about what are they doing with my tax money? My goodness, if we lived in a more equitable society, we would make such be able to make such different choices with those resources. So it's not just an individual cost. It's a huge social structural cost as well mm -hmm. um, that we are allowing. And, and it just really does raise that fundamental question, you know, is it really worth it to me to hold on to my white privilege, given all of those costs, not just to black indigenous people of color, but to, to whites as well? I, I think we too rarely talk about it that way, yeah. And, and there's a piece of the reality of it does mean sharing power. I mean, it yes. will mean needing to make some changes. And so, yes. you know, I, I use the analogy of if, you know, there's a cake and you're used to getting, you know, if there are 10 people mm -hmm. and you're used to getting nine of the slices. Right. Um, and now you get one slice, but that's equitable. It's right. going to feel, oh, what happened to all my cake? You know, this <laughs> Or I'm going to starve, you know, when right. in fact all it is, is making it equitable, uh, making sure that everyone is getting a piece of cake. And so there will be ways in which white people have had disproportionate power, mm -hmm. you know, disproportionate access to resources, right. that there will need to be adjustments that people will experience as things taken away. Mm -hmm. But I think the bigger picture is, it doesn't mean that um, people are going to then be, um, unable to live a good life. And right. it will also be knowing that other people will be able to have good lives. And I think if all of us are living good lives, um, then I think we all benefit from that. Absolutely, absolutely. I just, um, I know there's so many different ways to find an analogy that helps people understand this, but I, I just think about in our own families, you know, when our whole family is well and whole, everyone feels better, everyone is happier. And, and you know, so the human family, we would all benefit from this. Diane Goodman, Dr. Diane Goodman, you have been a wonderful guest today and I am so grateful to you for joining us. Is there one resource you would encourage people to look at before we go? Like what's the, the most helpful book you've, I know there's a million of them, but right now is there one thing you would encourage people to read or watch or look at? Oh, there are so many phenomenal resources out there okay. that I, I can't even begin to say one, but I, okay. I really want to highlight their voices of people of color, of BIPOC people. Yes. Um, and Start I would put people in those directions. 